my name is uh, Kostas Pelekernis. I'm uh, an associate professor at the School of Computing Information at the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, and I work a lot on data analytics, statistics, sports statistics, and have worked obviously on um, football or soccer for uh, <laughs> those that call it soccer. And I'm glad I'm here to talk some soccer. From Eterno, it's With a Plum, a show about the history, culture, and happenings in the beautiful game. I'm your host, Nima. In this episode, we sat down with Costas, who is the co-author of a fascinating paper about which positions contribute more to winning and are undervalued by the market. When looking at other sports, particularly baseball, hockey, basketball, or American football, these seem to have plenty of data around them, and many have worked on quantifying those games. But it wasn't until really five to ten years ago that analytics have come to the forefront of the world's most popular sport. I'm incredibly thankful to my amazing, thoughtful sister for sending me Custis's paper in the first place and ultimately connecting us. When she sent me his paper, I was on a plane, read it, and shared it immediately with my co-founder, at this point, we knew we had to sit down with him to learn more, so I asked my sister if she could introduce me to the author. His areas of research include network science and urban informatics, as well as sports analytics, where he's particularly interested in the development of evaluation metrics for sports teams and players, as well as the theoretical modeling of sports that will provide all of us with a deeper understanding of the game. A fun tidbit about Custos is that he used to play basketball for AK Athens' junior club when he lived in Greece. From our conversation, you can tell how passionate he is about the beautiful game. Without further ado, please enjoy our chat with the man himself. When my sister sent me your paper, Positional Value and Soccer Expected League Points Added Above Replacement, as soon as I read the abstract, I was smitten and I needed to learn more from, from the man who wrote it. So I'm very curious, how did you and your colleague that you collaborated on this paper with, what motivated you guys to write this paper specifically now? Wayne Winston, my co-author on that paper, has been working a lot on sports for many, many years, and he had this idea of trying to identify positional value in American football. Some of the problems that you have in evaluating positions and players in uh, American football are very similar to actual football, <laughs> if, if we may, where basically you have the same players playing together and it's hard to disentangle who contributed what and what position contributed what. So it was hard to find data for American football. So I, I turned to him and I said, well, look into it for soccer. That's how actually it started because of my interest in soccer and some idea that um, Wayne had for American football. So it who said, let's do it in soccer, where we can get uh, data that we can uh, do this work. So why is it that data for soccer is so not readily available? Why don't we hear about soccer statistics as much as maybe we hear about baseball statistics or basketball statistics mm -hmm. or hockey statistics? What's the gap? Yeah, I think I think one of the reasons is that soccer actually it's a sport of space. Uh, so whatever publicly available data we have for soccer, they are kind of on ball events, right? How many shots a team um, had, how many shots on target, 
possession percentages, corners. So are things that happen when you have the ball on your feet, right? But a player actually has the ball on, um, on their possession only on average three minutes every game. So the question is, what happens in the next 87? So in order to do that, you need data about where players are on the, on the pitch. And this data... First of all, we're not available five years back, mm. um, widespread, let's say. Some teams had uh, this technology for more than five years, obviously, and they're not cheap to get. So teams that have this data or leagues that uh, have contracted companies to collect this kind of data, obviously, they don't want to open them publicly, right? So one of the issues is that in the public sphere, we don't have this kind of statistical analysis you see in other sports, mainly because the publicly available data do not capture the essence of the game. And then there are actually uh, various companies, for example, people that work on football uh, analytics will know StatsBomb, where they have tried actually to open some of this data for people to do public research. So we see more and more research coming out, but definitely this has been the last years, the last few years that has started really taking. Hmm. So I'm actually curious, where did you guys get your data from? So it's very interesting. We, we got uh, this data, the data that we needed for the specific work were not as detailed. We didn't need the tracking data, the player locations. Actually, if we had that, we could most probably improve this work. So what uh, we needed was actually which players played every game, uh, what was the score, if there were subs, and uh, some information about the quality of the players. So what we did is there is uh, this uh, nice platform, Kaggle.com, which basically hosts uh, data science machine learning competitions. And someone had uploaded eight years of data from about 10 uh, leagues, professional leagues in Europe, oh, wow. and had all this information. So it had information about the games, the score, the players that played, and... The quality of the player, which is very interesting, I think that's one of the most interesting things in our study, is that they had the ratings of every player from the FIFA video game. <laughs> uh, and actually, research, previous research has shown that these ratings are actually very accurate. Huh. Uh, so they they capture very well the quality of the players. So we use this as a signal for uh, you know how good the players uh, that played every game um, were. By the way, who is this hero that uploaded all this data? Do we know? Yeah, I don't remember his name. If you actually go, I can, I can um, uh, send you the link and uh, you can share it with uh, your listeners. Yeah. It's, it's, you, we know who he, who he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely link uh, to you guys' papers so for the interested, people can actually read the full thing, which is super <laughs> fascinating from our perspective. What's sort of the history of data analytics in soccer and how we've gotten here today? Mm-hmm. That's sort of the first step I'd love to get your take on it. Yeah, actually, it's very interesting. People, when they think about football analytics, they really think about the latest developments and uh, you know work that is being done from European clubs about analyzing this player tracking data. But really, and it's not only soccer, it's all sports. Statistics have been part of the game and sports forever, even though not in the form we see today, but always they have been. So it's really interesting that, at least to my knowledge, the first uh, time that some analytics were involved in soccer and we know about it was actually in the late 70s, mm. uh, in, um, from Dynamo Kiev, actually, mm. where they had um, their coach uh, Lobanovsky, who actually used 
introduced uh, his friend who was a professor of math. I believe his name was Lentsov. I might be butchering that name. Mm. But they had um, actually, they had done some analysis to uh, see what features of the game, what aspects of the game are important. For example, they had found that, you know, if a team commits errors in less than 20% of their actions, they usually tend to win. So mm-hmm. they started working on these aspects of the game. Uh, but really one of the, well, it's not as famous story, something that has gained some uh, recognition is Arsene Wenger, actually, who has studied economics and is very much into uh, quant. Mm. Uh, when he was uh, the coach uh, of Monaco in the late 80s, he actually used uh, a software called, I believe, TopScore that was used to evaluate players and team play and stuff like that. It's not a 10-year-old uh, story. It dates back, as I said, at least to the late 70s, from what I know. But definitely it has picked up as the, the years go, and obviously it started picking up more after the 19, mid-90s when Opta started collecting event data for every game. Well, first of all, that's super interesting that Arsene Wenger was in some ways a pioneer in his time. Mm-hmm. I wonder how much of that software ever played into uh, recruiting players. I guess we'll have to get Mr. Wenger on the show and ask him ourselves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you think the groups in uh, world football that are capturing some of this data, how likely is it that they'll be opening it up to, you know, academicians like yourself to do mm-hmm. analysis like you have and really publish some advanced work based mm-hmm. on the data that they're capturing versus keeping it in a closed loop and for themselves hoping that that's some sort of a competitive edge? Yeah, uh, that, that's a very interesting um, problem because on the one hand, you want to have some competitive advantage over other teams. On the other hand, you might want to explore more ideas by opening the data. So I I think where we are headed, and some teams have actually, some clubs actually have started doing that, is the clubs themselves will have analysts trying to do work. So for example, Barcelona has a huge uh, what they call innovation hub, but really they are doing research on the data they collect. Mm. From football, basketball, uh, they do research on new sport technology, but they also publish. So obviously they uh, use the data from their own purposes, but you can see them publishing in um, academic conferences and journals um, uh, and uh, showing what they are doing. Now, if they will open the data, I'm not sure. There are people, academics can get some access. So the company that actually started uh, this tracking technology stats, uh, which is based in Chicago, uh, they have some data set that they make available to uh, academics for research. Uh, Now, obviously, uh, it's not the full-fledged data that teams get, but uh, you can still do some uh, research if if you uh, want. Hmm. So you've mentioned stats.com and statsbomb.com. Are there other mm-hmm. uh, sources of publicly available data for football that folks can go and check out? There is. Um, I mean, it's not really publicly available, but for example, um, uh, last spring, uh, Paris Saint-Germain had a uh, public competition uh, where basically they open some of uh, their data from Opta to anyone anywhere in the world uh, trying to solve specific problems they had and you know they um, provided awards to the top four solutions I I think I don't remember exactly the competition Hmm. but this is another way that you can get your hands on some uh, data through this type of competitions that 
teams might run and also you can get hired <laughs> if you do something good right so of course. it's a win-win uh, situation no for sure i guess what do you think are the best ways to capture data for football specifically is it having you know sensors and players shoes is it having cameras around the stadium is it a mix of both <laughs> right now the technology is is using cameras so they're using uh, cameras that are at the top of the stadium and basically they uh, track uh, with vision every player and this technology is working well now possibly with sensors you might be able to measure more stuff uh, like biometrics mm-hmm mainly. But I guess it has to do uh, also, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm not 100% sure, but it has to do with, you know, ethics around the data and how this data, this bio, mm-hmm. uh, biological data are being used and uh, how can they be used for transfers and all kind of stuff. So I think for now, since the optical uh, technology works well, this is what teams and uh, leagues will stick with for the foreseeable future until we, we put some protocols on how uh, you know bio sensor data are going to be used and can be yeah. used i love that you bring up ethics and i'm gonna do sort of a plug for my sister's work mm-hmm. her, her most recent work is actually just machine learning which is very much focused around the ethics of machine learning and i think that's important in any facet of of tech as we're seeing some backlashes on data collected now so mm-hmm. i really yeah. appreciate that you bring up that point one of the actual uh, companies that are coming up now, it's doing very cool stuff in, in soccer, it's called Sci Sports, and it's a Dutch company. And actually, they also ran some competition last year in uh, um, a machine learning workshop, actually, where they provided some tracking data from passes, and they wanted to identify, to, to find people that identified ways to see uh, who was the intended receiver of a pass. So basically, this was another source of open data. I believe it might still be online. So through these competitions, actually, you can get your hands onto some of this more advanced data. That's fascinating. Back to your paper. What are some of the key takeaways from the paper that you guys wrote? Basically, what we wanted to say is whether we can... Uh, identify what positions give you the best point for your money. So basically, we want to find which positions might contribute more to winning and they are kind of undervalued from the market, the financial market. Uh, we worked for that paper, we have worked mainly on whole lines. So, for example, defense, the middle field, uh, attack, goalkeeper, other than you know, center back versus uh, left back or versus right back. Uh, and the, the, the reason, again, is the granularity of the data that we have. But what we found, actually, is that if we are only interested on winning, uh, win probability, uh, defenders are very undervalued. So they are paid less than mm-hmm. what they contribute in winning uh, the defensive line as a whole. Uh, and attackers, obviously, are overvalued. The most overvalued position, actually, are goalkeepers. Now, some of these uh, things are not necessarily to say that you know teams don't know how to spend their money because the way we look at things is you know from the perspective of purely winning but now teams are enterprises and they want to maximize mm-hmm. revenue so obviously it might make sense to pay uh, Messi more than uh, what he contributes on um, uh, on the pitch because he's going to bring money from sponsors 
people that come to see him, people that buy his uh, jersey and other stuff like that. Uh, and actually, it's interesting that That's in the Premier League, 16 of the top 20 uh, jersey sellers were attackers. So it's obvious that they bring you more <laughs> value than just on uh, the pitch. So this is more from the perspective, you know, of a team that doesn't have a big budget. Maybe uh, if they have six millions uh, to spend, maybe it's more wise to spend it to get a good defender and maybe an average striker uh, rather than the other way around. Of course, I don't know what type of game this will be. You know, it will be the typical Cadenaccio maybe. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's that's what mm -hmm. these games apparently. Of course, one thing that, again, people who read the paper will see that we mentioned it is, you know, it's not to say that, you know, goalkeepers are not important or things like that. It's the data that we have, right? If we, for example, we don't have data from Champions League, it might be the case that in this level of competition, goalkeepers are really important. Uh, but in the leagues and the championships that we analyze data, it wasn't the case. The guys that actually wrote Freakonomics <laughs> and Soccernomics book, they actually had made a point about how soccer is the weakest link sport, whereas in uh, basketball, it's the strongest link sport. Mm -hmm. What that means is that in basketball, if you have three superstars on your starting lineup, that says a lot more about the odds of you mm -hmm. winning a game or a championship. Whereas in soccer, if it was just about winning, you're far better patching up your mm -hmm. weak links. So if left back is your weakest player, you're better off bringing on uh, a player that strengthens that position versus buying the next Wayne Rooney yeah. or buying the next George Weah as a striker if that's not your weakest position. However, like you pointed out, there are other intangibles, you know, including jerseys and butts in the <laughs> seats in the stadiums and whatnot that contribute to, to players coming on. But one thing, you know, again, that heuristically made so much sense to me when I read your paper was that defensive players and, you know, my heart, I've always had a soft spot for holding midfielders <laughs> and they're sort of unsung heroes on, on, on the screen, maybe with the fans, but not necessarily with the players themselves. So a player like Claude Makalele or Kante or, you know, Roy Keane, <laughs> You're not going to see them scoring tons of goals, but everyone in their own team knows the team wouldn't function without exactly. them. Exactly, yeah. What are some gaps in data that could potentially improve the work that you guys have already laid out? Yeah, one of the things definitely is that we don't know the exact formations of teams. So we have assumed some formations based on you know the nominal position of players, but we definitely don't know the exact formation and you know obviously how it changes through the game. So if you had that information, most probably uh, we could build a hierarchical model where basically could also inform you know the coaching staff that if you tend to play four-five-one, uh, uh, then you need a good striker. Uh, then. Mm. You might of the striker will be bigger than compared, let's say, to a 4-4-2. So that information alone would definitely improve our findings because basically the value of a position also is tied to uh, what's the formation of the team. That's one thing that would definitely help. Now, the other thing also, if you had player tracking data, uh, you could extract that formation to some extent, and you could also see specific players where they spend their time, right? So, for example, if you have a left back 
you know, uh, attacks as well, or you might have a left back that never passes middle field. So mm. you could start seeing uh, which type of players for each position are the ones that provide you more uh, benefit. I think I've seen some data that shows almost like a heat map mm -hmm. where a player has spent their time. Now, again, I don't know how available this data is. But, you know, if, if you play as, like you said, if you play as a left back, sort of a heat map of where, where a player went during yeah. one match. Yeah, yeah. And these are, these are uh, from tracking data and, uh, you know, media companies obviously have access to that and create stories about this, basically describing what happened in the game. Uh, but yeah, that's exactly the type of data that would help uh, here. Do you guys have any intentions of using new sets of data to do an iteration on the existing paper that you've already done? Because I will for sure read that iteration too. <laughs> yeah, our, our goal is to do that. The Maybe. question is how easy is to find this data? We have been looking uh, for the data, you know, we have been checking on all the uh, possible websites to see whether there's any update. Potentially, we can. Uh, we are thinking of trying to uh, redo some of this work with, um, you know, the publicly available data like StatsBomb. The problem is trying to combine what data they have with, you know, the FIFA ratings, for example, uh, and whether yes. we can do the matching uh, there. But yeah, definitely the goal is to continue that work. Obviously, I'm biased, and I'm sure most people listening are biased, but we'd all love more data <laughs> yes. uh, when it comes to the beautiful game. Not that people around the world don't have enough topics to talk about football, <laughs> but I think this can definitely lead to some better discussions around the value of players. You know, Raj and I often talk about how silly some of these awards can be. Because the awards, again, back to selling jerseys and putting butts in the seats, often just focus on, you know, the flashiest players or the players that score the most goals. When in reality, you know, it's a team sport. There's 11 people on the field. Yeah. Uh, yeah Messi definitely. doesn't score by himself. I'm sure if I had Xavi and Iniesta passing me balls, I also wouldn't suck as much as I do. It, it would be nice to see players like Xavi and Iniesta and the Kentes of the world and the Makaleles actually win some meaningful awards and get their due awards, but Definitely. in time. In yeah. Time. Yeah. Thank you so much for making time for us. Oh, thanks Young for people. having me. It was really, really a joy to read your paper. Like I mentioned earlier, we'll definitely link to it in our episode notes. Thanks. I hope our listeners go and read your paper too. Mm -hmm. And we have a link to the data. Uh, so if they don't want to read the paper, they can go and get the data. Amazing. And we all look forward to the iteration of your work on this paper, and I'll be sure to share that with uh, our entire community as well. Thanks. Thank you again. Thank and, you. Uh, I hope to connect soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation with Custos. There are plenty of outlets that cover scores and useless punditry. It's our goal to bring you research, interview the most interesting people, players, academicians, executives, and clubs, and talk about topics that incumbent outlets view as too controversial or against their own financial interests to cover so they just don't or won't cover. But we will, and that is our promise to you. So we can't express enough gratitude to you for tuning in. 
we have a very special episode coming up about one of the greatest players to ever grace a pitch. So if you haven't already, please subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. On that note, we'll catch you next time. One love.